This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Well, good morning, good morning. Hopefully you're doing well today. Is anybody doing good today? Sounds good. Well, I'm excited for the message today. I'm excited that you're here too, but I wanted to bring a couple things to your attention before we jump into it. The first one is that um, I was informed this week that um, if you are, were planning on going to the women's event and you were worried about it because you couldn't go to the whole time or anything like that, they are now offering a one-day price option. So if you can't make it to the whole thing, if Steve's like, oh, snap, uh, I might have to sign up. It's not for you, Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that I think it's by... Uh, April 2nd, you have to register, and it's only $75. If you have questions, just refer back to the app or Pastor Rhonda, um, and she'll be able to help you out with that. But I'd encourage you to make it a priority. Um, gathering in spaces together um, really allows God to move, just like he is already today. And so he can move um, on our own, but... Um, he likes to move in, in groups of people. The church was not meant to be a single person. He didn't come to just save you. He came to save the world. And so when we gather together, it's powerful. Um, the second thing I wanted to bring to your attention is um, not really an announcement. It was just something crazy I noticed as I was prepping. Um, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or it just came to my mind. But um, this, this Sunday, so the third Sunday of March, is the three-year anniversary of when COVID really began to hit our state. And you're like, why are you bringing this up? But um, I went back and watched that horrible live stream that's not, not to the public anymore, not because of quality, just because I was talking to PK this week. We had no idea what was going on. We were just like, God, like, help us, okay? Like, we have no idea. And we gathered that Sunday, if you were here, and I think President Biden had called a day of national prayer or a day for national prayer or whatever, and um, we prayed together as a church. We had service, and we secretly pre-recorded on a camera just in case, like, the next week we would have to shut down. And once you know, we shut down for, like, three or four months. And I bring that up today. Um, I don't know if you have PTS from that or not, but because of God's faithfulness. Really, I mean, you think about it. I'm like, I'm grateful we get to gather like this today. But I also look back, and I'm going, man, that was three years ago. And I look at all that God has done since in my life. And culture has changed. Yes, there's, there's fallout from that. Individuals have changed. There's fallout from that. But God's always faithful. And he's always doing something. So I figured I'd bring that to your attention this morning. And also, I'm just glad we're in the building together. And those of you online, get here unless you're out of state. I don't expect you to drive or fly here. So um, anyways, we are stepping into, man, these, these extra Bibles are making this nice and wobbly. If, I, if it falls over, it's just roll with it. But uh, anyways, today we're stepping into week 10 of a series we're calling what? Come on, a series we're calling what? Uh, that's better. Love where you live. And if you didn't realize it, today's message actually puts us just over the halfway point um, of this 19-week, five-month series where we've been asking this life-altering question of what would happen if each of us really began to love where we live? What would happen if we began to love where we live? And I hope that in you coming week after week and hearing this question that you've not just let it be, um, become a... Um, familiar and uh, desensitized question that, that, does, that falls on deaf ears. I hope that you continually come, and as we ask this question, you go, God, like, no, what could you do in me if I love where I live? What could you do in my family, this city, the, the, the circles of life that I walk in? What could you do if I love where I live? Because that's really the heartbeat of this series. And if you've been with us, you know that we're on um, phase number two of these four phases of transformation that we believe are kind of encompassing this idea of loving where you live. The first one is this idea of personal transformation. God wants to do a work in you, right? And right now we're in home transformation, which is God wants to do a work in your home because if your home's out of order, the world can't be in order. Even though a lot of times we're like, come on, Washington, D.C., fix something. And it's like, look in your own backyard, fix what's going on in you. The next phase of the series is circle transformation, which um, a guest speaker, Tom Bachman, will be actually kicking off for us um, in a couple weeks. 
um, and that one's about God wanting to change your circles of influence, where you go to work, the, the, the people you do life with. He wants to do something through you. And finally, which we all want to see, is city transformation. And not just like nicer parks or something. We want to see a spiritual change. And I love this because God changes the individual heart, and then he changes the city. It's not about changing the city and then the hearts of the people. He changes individuals that then go change the situation they're in. So I hope you've been enjoying the series. I hope more than that you've been challenged by it. I hope you walk away with your toes feeling a little bit like hurt, like, man, they stepped on me today. But um, I encourage you to, um, I don't know if we keep calling this out, but this Love Where You Live handout, which is in the lobby out there, I'd encourage you to grab this, and not because the information will change your life, but because it's a reminder for you to go, God, I want you to do a heart work in me. Because that should be the prayer of our life. It should not be like, I don't know, a lot of times we're like, get saved, and then once we get saved, we're like, okay, cool, I'm set. And it's not like a ticket to heaven. God wants to like God wants to heal you and, and, and work in you. He wants to transform you. And so this is a really good guide for that. So say so that's a good word. So um, with that being said this morning, um, for the last month we've been in the home transformation of the series. And our question has been for, uh, morphed to what would happen if we really loved our home? Not the physical residents that we live in, but the people that, that live in our home and the people that are invited into our home. And um, really behind the heart of this question is this idea that the change we desire to see in this country doesn't begin in Washington, D.C., but in our own homes. And I've already kind of said that, but if you haven't written that down, write that down. It's on on the screen today. But I want that to sink in because, again, I think a lot of times, especially COVID, revealed the brokenness of this country. And I think it's really easy to look at that situation and go, man, like, this country needs new leadership and we need new rules and we need to do something about this. But, like, that's never, like, that's, that was never God's plan. Like, if you realize that Christianity was born into one of the worst cultural, like, government societies possible. Christians were thrown into lion's dens and persecuted. Like, God was working in the world despite that, not in, in, in that. And so I think we need to let that sink in that, like, God wants to do a work in you and in your home. The Holy Spirit, like Larry talked about last week, wants to fill your home and empower your home and do the work that you bring your family here on Sunday. Go, God, like do something. He wants to do that every day of your life, wherever you're at. And so today I want to continue on this phase of this journey by asking the question, where do we even begin to fix the home? Where do we even begin to fix the home? And now in asking this question, I'm not talking about your decor decor choices, although some of you might need to fix those. Um, I'm not talking about that like 45-year-old green tile shower in your master bathroom that you absolutely hate every time you get on Instagram or TikTok and see the $5 house in Texas that like is too good to be true. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, this house is $200 and it's like the biggest house you've ever seen in your life. We're like, this is stupid. Like we're like, 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 have in Salem as it is in Texas. We want the housing market here. I don't know. But uh, I mean by this question, how do we fix the soul of our home? How do we fix the health of the environment of the place that we call home? How do we fix the outcome of the systems that are lived by in the home? How do we stop the dysfunctions of the place that we call home that it creates in us that therapists gets, pay, gets paid decades later to fix? Like, how do we, how do we fix that? And I jump straight into asking this question this morning without an on-ramp to build, build you up into it. Because I realize that all of us, without being told, recognize there's dysfunction and brokenness within us and within our home. And so today, I want, I want you to ask yourself, what's my responsibility in fixing that? As a roommate, where do you begin to fix your home? As a spouse, where do you begin to fix your home? As a parent, where do you begin to fix your home? As a kid, where do you begin to fix your home? As a grandparent, where do you begin to fix the home? And then I want to stretch everyone's thinking, as a person that's invited into other people's houses, what's your responsibility in helping fix their home? I just want you to process that because the next phase of this transformation is much bigger than just our home. It's now the circles that we do life in. 
And as much as like you just love friendship with someone else, God gave you the Holy Spirit to also minister to them in their situation. So what's your responsibility? And I realize that in the weeks leading up to this, um, PK and Larry have both hit on this topic and this question already. But I want to come at it from a different angle. And they've been spot on, but I, want, I feel like God spoke to my heart in just another way for us to address this question. But before I jump into it, I want to just say this. I'm not coming with my experience as my foundation for trying to help you fix your home. I know I've only been married three and a half years and I don't have kids yet. And that may disqualify you or disqualify me in your mind from talking on this. But I'm not coming with my experience. I'm coming with God's word as my foundation. And I believe, like, there's, there's some truths in his word that, like, I think all of us can come and live by. And so, as I start to walk through this message, and you see how simple it is, because some of you are like, this is going to be super simple to you. I, I ask you to not let familiarity or the simplicity of it cause you to be skeptical of whether or not it will work. Because I think sometimes, like, we, 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 we see what's in this, this book, and we go, man, that's too simple. Like, there's got to be more steps than that. But really, it's not. There's something about God's word and the power of the principles in his life that he wants to do in you. So let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into it. God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to speak today, God. And I just pray over each home that's represented here, each person. God, we want to be homes that are, are, are built after you. God, we want to see you move, not just on Sundays. God, we want to see you move every day. The moment we wake up, the moment we go to bed. God, every conversation, every meal. God, everywhere we go, we want to see you move. And so we just pray that you'd come today and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Once upon a time, there was a giant ship that had its engine fail. In dire need, the owners of the ship sought one expert after another trying to get the ship's engine restored. But sadly, none of the experts could figure out how to fix the engine. After almost giving up because they had no success, the ship owners heard of this elderly man who had been fixing ships from the time that he was very young. So they reached out to him in one last effort to finally solve their problem. Upon arrival, this man carried a large bag of tools with him, and he immediately began to assess the situation. He inspected the ship's engine very carefully from top to bottom, and while he was doing this, the ship owners were there over his shoulder watching him, hoping that he would be able to fix their ship. After looking things over for quite some time, the elderly man finally reached into his bag and pulled out a small hammer and gently tapped part of the engine. Immediately, the engine lurched to life. The owners were so happy because the engine was finally fixed. They thanked the man. He carefully put his hammer away and left. A week later, the owners received a bill from the man for $10,000. In shock, the owners asked themselves, how can this be? He hardly did anything. What are we paying for? So they immediately reached out to him and requested an itemized bill so they could see the breakdown of how he was charging them. And not too long after, the man sent a bill that read this, tapping with the hammer, $2. Knowing where to tap, (laughs) $9,998. Now, beyond this feeling similar when you go get your oil changed, um, why am I bringing it up today? Um, because I think the simple story has correlations to the situation we find ourselves in today when it comes to our home. I think most of us agree that we're living in a society is broken. And whether we want to blame that on the school systems, politics, government, the church, cultural values, post-Christian culture, whatever you want. At the end of the day, I think one of the main reasons we are experiencing the outcomes and consequences we are as a country is because our homes are dysfunctional and broken. Billy Graham said this, the basic unit of any society is the home. When the home begins to break, the society is on the way to disintegration. And whether or not you want to agree with Billy or I, because, you know, we were tight back in the day. I know, like, I actually gave him that quote. Um, I think there's some truth to be found in um, what what he and I are pointing at today. And this week in preparation, I began to write this portion of the message and was listing off examples to try to show you how the home in America is broken. But I felt a check in my spirit because I realized as I started to write out the examples, I realized how many people were going to feel really condemned 
as I started to read them off. Because they are all too aware of their brokenness and their broken situation. Because whether, whether we want to admit it or not, and whether it was the home we came from or the home we're in, we are all broken and we all have experienced pain and brokenness in our home. Whether it was disunity that, lead, that led to separation um, in the home or a lack of love in the home that caused pain or no guidance or no presence or no vision in the home that caused pain or a lack of effort in the home that caused pain. We have all experienced and caused, and that's the important factor because a lot of times we're just victims. No, we've caused as well brokenness and dysfunction in our home. Now, in saying this today, I don't desire to like just rub this in and bring condemnation. And maybe you think your home is perfect. Um, but I think if, if you're anything like me, over the last month of this series, I have realized that in the three and a half years I have led a home, that I've already allowed a lot of dysfunction and brokenness in. I've caused a lot of dysfunction and brokenness in my home. And rather than that defeating me, I want us to realize today that God has given us not only the knowledge, but also the authority over dysfunction and brokenness so that we can fix the home. And that's why I asked the question, where do we even begin fixing it? Because it needs fixed. And as Christian-y and cheesy as it sounds, I believe the Bible contains a $2 fix because of the $9,998 knowledge of our God. It's a simple tap of the hammer because God has already given you the knowledge to unlock a new life. And a lot of times we sit in victims in our old life rather than going, no, God's giving me access to something new. And so I want to look at that knowledge today, and I want to begin by looking at a passage of scripture that PK actually referenced a few weeks ago. Um, and in this passage of scripture, um, it's about the, the um, nation of Israel and a time in society where they found themselves, as, they, as you'll see, um, they were distressed. And I want to read it really quick. So Judges 2, it says this, The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived them, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They abandoned him who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. And here's the part I think we can relate to at times. And the people were in great distress. And what's crazy about this passage in Judges is that if you look at the context of what takes place that led to this distress, you actually see that it was caused by their failure to walk out the knowledge God gave them years earlier in regards to how they should structure their life and their home. As a matter of fact, what took place in Judges could have been and should have been prevented because God gave them the, the knowledge to prevent it. And so today, what I want to do is I want to go back and look at the knowledge they were given, that they failed to execute. And within that, I think we can see some things for us today that help us get back on track and fix the dysfunction in our life and our home. Before I read it, I want to give a little bit of context, and we've reviewed this before, but if you jump back to Genesis chapter 12, you see that God comes to this man named Abram, later he would call Abraham. And he says, Abraham, leave where you're at and go to this country I'm showing you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then three chapters later in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, actually, so just so you know, like you, I'm still fulfilling my promise, but there's going to be a time where your, your, your descendants, this nation, will find themselves in a foreign land, and they will be um, um, taken into captivity and made slaves. But he's like, don't worry, after years I will come and I will, I will free them out of slavery. And once you know, God does raise up a, a, a leader named Moses as they find themselves in slavery, and he delivers them out. And long story short, after miracle upon miracle, the nation finds itself on the edge of this promised land that God had spoken to them. And God tells them to go in and take it, but because they were afraid, they disobeyed. And then they spent 40 years wandering the desert, not going into the promise God had for them. 
And so finally, at the end of the 40 years, they're standing back on the edge of it, and God tells them to go in. But the sad part is Moses, their leader up to this point, was unable to take them in because of a mistake he had made. So instead, he, he gathers the nation together, and he gives this farewell address that we now know as the book of Deuteronomy. It's a long book in the Bible, but we know it as Deuteronomy. And in this book, he gives, up this, fair, he gives this farewell address. And if I had to sum it up, it was basically this, a... Um, a reminder of God's faithfulness up to this point and a plan and expectation for how they were to succeed going forward. One commentator said this, Moses, I love the adjectives, Moses urges, commands, threatens, entreats, pleads, and otherwise invokes his powers of persuasion to induce his congregation to a positive course of action or to the avoidance of a negative tendency. And if you know the history of Israel, like they had negative tendencies. He was trying to steer Israel in the right direction. And in the midst of all these details, he gives a core piece of information that would have prevented judges too, but they missed it. And so I want to look at that today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then we'll jump into the, the main meat of this message. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you, the nation of Israel, to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. You do these things so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands, and so that you may enjoy a long life. And I think here in this context, he wasn't necessarily talking about like a long physical life. That could have been it. But I think he was talking more about a long, successful, abundant life in what he had called them to in the promised land. And then he goes on to say this. He says, Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land. Verse number four says, Hear, O Israel, and then verse number five, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk among the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Skip down to verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord um, that the Lord our God has commanded you? And this is super big. Tell him this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders. He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so that we may always prosper and be kept alive. So how does this help us fix our home? Well, in context of Deuteronomy 6, Moses is not giving them any fixes to anything. Remember, this is a prevention plan. But in this knowledge, I believe we can pull three things that help us begin to fix our home, and I want to give them to you this morning. So the first one this morning, if you're taking notes, is we begin to fix the home by remaking God the center of the home. And if I was sitting at your seat at this point in the message, I would be really skeptical and go, seriously, like your answer to my brokenness is just to slap the Jesus answer on it. Thank you, Trenton. But I want us to hear this out today because what I'm suggesting is not just a good idea. It's God's idea for the foundation of your life and your home. So you can't overlook that. So what do I mean by making God the center of our home? Well, in order to answer this question, we need to, we need to address what the word center means. And there's a lot of different definitions out there for this word. But the one I'm looking at is the point around which something revolves. So when I say the center of the home, I mean the thing in which your home, every home, revolves around. So if I were to ask this morning, what is the typical center of the American home that, that like, what does it typically revolve around? And you, and you could answer this in a whole plethora of ways. But if you take it physically, you might go, well, actually, like, 
The TV is typically the center of the American home, right? The average uh, American home has two TVs in it, and we idolize that open concept with the bougie, like, fireplace and mantle. It's stained with, like, the perfect color and then the biggest flat screen TV possible that you can see from the couch and the kitchen and the dining table because you've got to be able to see everything at all times. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've made this the center of our home. Another one that I think is, is more generationally past is the table, right? The table is the center of the home where we gather for meals and, and work and whatever. That was another table, so you could answer it in a physical sense, but you can also answer it in a non-physical, non-material heart sense of what is the center of the home. And what I mean by that is what are the characteristics, activities, and goals that make up the center of the home? And I think, again, there are way too many answers for this for the American home. For some American homes, their version of success is what their home revolves around. They work long hours, even to the detriment and neglect of maybe their family to reach their version of success. For some homes in America, owning nice possessions is the center around their home, which their home revolves. Think, owning nice quality things. For some Americans, having fun and experience is, is the thing that their home revolves around. They like to go out and adventure and go on nice vacations. For some Americans, sports are what their home revolves around. They participate in, put their kids in, they watch sports. For some American homes, relationships are what the home revolves around. They seek moments together with people living in the home and the community that comes into their home. For some American homes, status is what it revolves around. Comfort is what it revolves around. Pleasure is what their home revolves around. Money is what their home revolves around. Dissatisfaction of life that leads to complaining is what their home revolves around. And I could keep going, but I think we get the point this morning that whether we choose it or not, in every home there is a center around which that home revolves. And now at the end of the day, not all the things I just listed are bad things that, that um, to be uh, like, not all the things I listed are bad things to have as a part of your home. But if they're the thing, the thing that your home revolves around, you're missing the point. There's only one good center for the home. And this is what I believe Moses was, was saying in Deuteronomy 6. He said, these are the commands the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear God as long as you live and that, so that you may enjoy a long life. What was Moses saying here? He was basically saying you're going into this land, and here's how you should live in order to have success. So he's saying, do this so you get this. And then what is the first thing out of his mouth that he says? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is one of the most time-defying statements of the entire Bible. And then after this, he get, then goes on to say that, parents, you need to teach this way of life to your families. So what he's saying is let your life and your family's life revolve around what? God. Let him be at the center. Not just because it's a good idea or helpful tip, but because that's how it was formed. Relationship with him is how your life was formed. Now, how do I get this takeaway from the text? Well, I think there's a million reasons. I could have preached a whole sermon on just how and why I know that God should be the center of your home. But one of the coolest ones from this text is, is um, a, a prayer that Judaism called the Shema. Has anyone heard of the Shema before? Okay, so if you guys have watched the first uh, season of Chosen, yeah, um, I'm a big Chosen fan now, like my second time through it. I was like against it for years, like not because it was bad or I just never like decided to watch it. And then I started my master's and I was in Gospel of Mark and I started watching The Chosen. It was like I'm learning in both ways. And I'm like, this is mind-blowing. It's so good. Anyway, um, in The Chosen, in the first season, um, Jesus is with these children. He says, hey, have you guys learned your Shema? And they say yes, and then he asks them to quote it. And then if you know what I'm talking about, they go on to quote this prayer 
that, that is composed of multiple verses, one from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, that includes this statement of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And what's so interesting about this, this prayer, the Shema, is because of what it became in Judaism, the, the people following God at this time. It became a foundational statement to the way of their life. It was a daily prayer that they prayed in the morning and at night. It was the cardinal principle, the doctrinal confession and fundamental truth in which everything they believed was built. The Jewish people expect every adult to know this prayer and they expect every child to be taught it diligently. Why? Because they realized that Moses was saying, what Moses was saying was to be the center of the life in their home. The very core of their life and existence was supposed to be in relationship with him, keeping him at the center. It wasn't an option, it was the option. Just like you have to put fuel in your car, not water or Coke, zero, right, like to run. Like you have God at the center, there's one option. Which leads us to the second fix of the home because for, for God being the center of the home, it leads us to a specific purpose for the home. So we begin to fix the home by coming back to the home's original purpose. That's the second fix. From a young age, all of us begin to discover that everything was created for a purpose and with a purpose. It's why kids are full of so many why questions. Why? They're trying to understand why you do something the way you do or why something was made the way it was. And sadly, I think over time, we let, we let that, that side of us kind of go away because we get answers and we start to, to phase out of it. But as I was working on this message, I asked myself, when was the last time I asked what the original purpose of the home was? When was the last time I sat back and really thought to myself, of all the things God could create, why did he create the home and family the way he did? What was his purpose for the home? Because last time I checked, the home was not a man-made invention, it was God's creation. And as I began to think about this question, I realized that a lot of us might just go jump straight to Genesis 1.28 when Adam and Eve told them, like when God told Adam and Eve to go multiply the earth, which an outcome of the home is multiplication, right? That's, that's an outcome of a home and marriage. But I think God had way more purpose than just multiplication of, of human beings as the purpose of the home. And the one purpose I felt like was illuminated in my heart for this message linked back to the original pr um, promise and call of Abraham that led to the nation of Israel. That led them to this point in Deuteronomy 6, and it's this. I want to read it. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name, and you will be a blessing. And here's the, here's the, the purpose right here. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's being said here? The reason God called Abraham and the reason God made the nation of Israel, uh, or and the reason God called the nation of Israel through Abraham, and the reason why the nation of Israel was to go, told to go into the promised land and when they entered the promised land not to behave like other nations because God ha they, they were God's chosen nation is not because God was trying to hinder their fun or cramp their style, make a cult that only circumcised Israelites could be a part of, or that um, he was going to destroy all other nations. He made this promise so that through them, all people on earth could come to know God, his way of life, and be blessed. God chose the nation not because they were deserving of it or because he cared about them more than other people on the planet. Even though Judaism way got off, like they got way off track, and this is why they hated Jesus, because Jesus was welcoming everyone. They're like, what, what's going on, Jesus? He chose them for, him, for them to be his chosen vessel, for him to reveal himself to all people on the planet, not exclude people on the planet. Their role as individuals, as homes, and as a nation was solely this, and I believe that's still one of the main purposes of the home today. Just like marriage between man and woman is supposed to be a picture of Christ's love to the church, our home is supposed to be a, a vessel in which God shows himself to the world around us. 
And this is why God, through Moses, gave the directions he did. It said, these are the commands the Lord your God directed me to teach you. We read this. Then he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then what? Then you need to impress this lifestyle of loving God on your children, and you need to talk about it with them on the road and at home, and when you, get, and when you lie down and when you get up. What was he trying to say here? Well, I think a lot of times we read this and we're like, So I have to wake up and read this every day, and I have to go in the car, and I have to read this on every road trip, and I have to, every time I sit down, I have to pull this out and read this. And I think we're missing the point of this passage. Because I don't think God was trying to give a literal step-by-step of how we should walk out relationship with him in this idea of, of loving him. I think what he was doing is he was giving us a metaphorical picture to reveal what, what this would have looked like. See, if their purpose was to bless everyone they came into contact with the love of God, it was not just a part-time job or hobby. He said what he did about the home, about the road, about night and day as a metaphor to show they could not take off or neglect their purpose. It was to be the driving force that consumed them. It was not just a once-a-week activity. It was the, the, the driving force of their life. Not to where they were so focused on like preaching this to everyone they saw that they couldn't enjoy life, but because it became so much a part of them that it just flowed out naturally on all those areas of life. Their purpose was to be changed by God and then be changed agents for God. The home was to be a way of life school for their kids and for the next phase of the series, every, every person that comes into contact with you, your family, and your home. This is why it begins with God changing us, then God changing our homes, and then God changing our circles, and then God ultimately changing the city. Why? Because that's the reflection of him working So at this point in the message, I can understand people thinking, this is where I got hung up all week in prepping for this message. Because I, I was like, in my head, I'm like, if I'm sitting in these chairs and I'm like listening to this, I'm going to start asking the question like, okay, I get that God needs to be the center of my life, right? And like, okay, I understand that. Like, I get that like, I could realign some of my purpose. But like, how is God being at the center and how is me living by this purpose going to fix the dysfunction in my home? Because I got like toddlers screaming at me right now. Like, I don't understand how it's going to fix the home. Like, I have teenagers that are so like not great at listening to me that I just want to slap myself sometimes. Like, so how does this help? And I really wrestle with this, but this is, this is what I felt like God spoke to me, and this is my third takeaway from Deuteronomy. Doing these things begins to fix the home because it allows God to begin to fix us. And what do I mean by this? When you choose to God, make God the center of your home, and when you choose to live by the purpose that God created you to live by, what it does is it aligns you. It fixes your home not because it swoops in and removes all the brokenness and dysfunction and circumstances you're facing in your home. What it does is it aligns you so that God can swoop in and remove the hardness, brokenness, and dysfunction from your heart, which then impacts your home. And none of you expected me to go there because you're like, I want you to fix them, not me. But it starts with you. It's a, it's a, a fix on you that then bleeds out to everywhere else. And I think as humanity, we're too often guilty of looking at the circumstances and going, if the circumstance would change, then I would change. But you carry you into whatever circumstance you go. It makes us the problem. Some famous pastor of a church in Salem coined the phrase, the issue's not the issue. The heart response or the heart is the issue. If you don't know, that's Pastor Kevin. This is like a series like five years ago. And if anyone asks what Relevant Life Church is based off of, it's that statement. Because we all remember it. Putting God at the center of your home aligns you so that God can come in and fix you. And you're like, well, I don't need any fixing. And my short running out of time response to that is, well, ask the person sitting next to you that lives with you if they concur. And then read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit if he concurs, okay? Because, again, the brokenness of humanity is a part of the job description, right? It's part of, it's part of who we are. 
And this points to the most important but most overlooked part of Deuteronomy 6. In studying this passage, I completely missed this the whole time. I was focused on everything else, and I missed this verse. Verse 6, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, why is this the most important part of the passage? Because without this, all that Moses said in the Old Testament law, all it was was a bunch of rules and information. And overlooking this verse is why so many people look at religion and go, that just looks like a bunch of no fun rules that cramp my life. Because in and of themselves, that's all that they are. But when we don't leave verse 6 out, but make that the foundation, then what we're doing is stepping into a relationship with God. See, the way of life he calls us to is not behavior modification by following rules in our own strength. The way of life he calls us to is relationship with him that transforms our hearts. And sadly, I think we're guilty of missing this, and Israel missed it. They missed it, and thousands of years later points to it. Let me show you what I mean. In Deuteronomy 6, God, through Moses, said, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says this, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What did God mean by bind them on your heads and put them on the door frames? I can't say for sure, but just like last point, I don't think it was necessarily literal of like do this just for the sake of doing it. I think it was a metaphor to show them that it was to be in their life always. It was to be on their hearts. It was to be who they were, not just something they did. But Judaism understood this as literal. See, thousands of years later, at least we know that the Jews ended up making these things called phylacteries and mezuzahs. And I brought a photo today. Um, that's for the chosen, just plug right there. I, I think we should be sponsored by the chosen. Anyway, this is a phylactery. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but basically that's a, a leather or wooden box on it that had the Shema and other scriptures and prayers in it, it was on, on, on a piece of paper wrapped up in there. And then over here's the mezuzah, and that was like a box, I guess, nailed to the door that had scripture inside of it. And in a lot of ways, this is a really beautiful applica practical application of what Moses said. But as beautiful as it is, it's also become a point of fail failure on Israel's parts because it became them just doing religion versus what it was supposed to be having them do, which is relationship with God. And how do I know this? Well, based off the gospel accounts, which took place thousands of years later, we see a moment in Matthew 23 where Jesus was warning his followers about the religious leaders. And in it, he said this, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And in context with this verse and the surrounding verses, Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy of how they were saying you should live by something that they themselves were not living by. They have these large things on their heads full of information, but they were missing the most important part, having it on their hearts. It wasn't supposed to be just in a box somewhere. It was supposed to be who they were. Because it doesn't matter what you have written on a piece of paper or what's written in here. It matters that I download it into here. And this is why Jesus said what he did eight chapters earlier in Matthew 15. He says, you hypocrites, talking to the religious leaders directly. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus came and the nation of Israel knew the law, but it hadn't been impressed on their hearts. They had lost that part of the equation. And the law was never the goal. Becoming the person God made you to be is the goal. And this is why God said in Jeremiah 31, there will be a day when I write the law in their minds and write on their hearts. And that was with Jesus when he came. And now that's a one-on-one a, a -on -one relationship that he fixed the issue the Israelites had before. See, God wasn't giving them the law, expecting them to carry around a clipboard going, check, I missed it, check, I didn't miss it. Like, he was giving them the law so they knew they were in need of him so that he could come and do a heart transformation. 
And sadly, I think for many of us today, I think we're guilty of doing the same thing. We look at the brokenness and dysfunction of us or the people in our home, and we think, if I just try harder, or if I just change the place that I'm residing, if I change the season of life, or if I just get rid of this or do this, then maybe I'll begin to see the fix and change. Rather than realizing we were never meant to fix anything. Matter of fact, we were never meant to be broken. But because sin came in, everything we now touch is infected and broken. And unless we take the other option that God gives us, which is a heart transplant and a Holy Spirit-empowered life, we will continue to see brokenness and dysfunction in our home, in our life, and in this, this, this world. All the race situations that we have constantly been poured out, all the gender identity things that are coming out, all of it comes down to heart transformation. It's not a law that could be changed. It's not tearing down a statue. It's people going, no, all people were created in God's image. God made them for a specific reason. God made them to function a certain way. It's a heart transplant. And he wants to come in and fix us, but it begins not with us tying this to our foreheads, although that would be really entertaining, just walking around like this, or nailing this to the door. It comes from us letting this impact this. And as I close today, I want to give an illustration of how these truths have been walked out to me because I realize that a lot of this is theoretical and I want it to become practical to you. So at this point, you may have noticed that I have this massive stack of what looks like books, but they're actually Bibles up here. And these, um, these are not just any old Bibles, okay? Like these are really valuable Bibles because these Bibles represent the Reich and Fournier households for four generations, um, on PK's side over here, I have, um, this is his grandmother, my great-grandma, Esther Pine's Bible. If I were to let you hold it, it probably would fall apart. 1972, and this thing has been used, okay? And then next, I have uh, my grandma, Doris, who's probably going to watch this online later. She shipped this to PK for me to use today, but it's full of all sorts of stuff, so thanks, Grandma. This is her, one of her Bibles. And then I have, PK's got a lot of Bibles, but I, uh, I brought one that's special to me because he gave this to me as a kid, I think. And this is one of his childhood Bibles that was actually in the front was given to you by your grandma. Did you remember that? It's really cool. I thought that was awesome. I was looking at all these last night. And then on my mom's side, I have my grandma Joyce, who's now in heaven watching me preach right now, um, her Bible. And I found out last night, mom, I don't know if you knew this, this is actually uh, grandpa's present to her on their 14th wedding anniversary, which is really cool. And it's, it is torn apart, man, okay? And then I have my grandpa Gary's Bible that he gave me. And this one... Um, is actually cool. It's less markings because he wanted to give me just a Bible that I could use, um, Thompson Chain Bible. And then I have um, one that I stole from my dad, which is my mom's, and she didn't even know I did this, but you can tell the binding seen better days on that too. And then finally, I have my Bible, which I hope to my kids one day it means as much as these mean to me. And uh, the reason I brought these up today is um, because of what they represent. See, I take these Bibles over the most expensive Bible in the world. Because, because of what they, they mean to me and my family. See, these Bibles, as you can see, like the, the, the binding is falling off or is almost falling off on all of them. It's because they've used, been used thousands of times. They've been lugged around. They've been studied. They've been opened over and over. And that's the beauty of them, not because they're mint condition, but because in their war down state, they represent people to me that said, God, I need you to come in and fix my heart. And my family is far from perfect at all. We are highly dysfunctional. But what happened is it wasn't on us to fix the dysfunction. God's grace covered every ounce of my home. And I hope that he covers, I pray he covers every ounce of my future. See, people, these represent people that 
opened and still open their hearts to the transforming power of God's word. These Bibles are messed up because they, and so the people would not be as the old adage goes, right? And although the people that used these Bibles were imperfect and had, and had imperfect homes, they never stopped coming back to the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I need you to fix me, not my circumstance. I need you to fix me. And so today in closing, my challenge to you is will you be one of these people? Are we gonna be people that just have nice Bibles on our shelves or the Bible app on our phone or Hobby Lobby signs with scripture on our walls? Like, are we gonna be people that have this in our hearts? I don't care if our church is five people. If all five of those people have this written on their hearts, we are on good terms. We are flying. We are loving where we live. And so my challenge is that you just say, God, I need you to fix me. I'm done complaining about my situation. I'm done complaining about where we're at as a nation. And I'm going, God, I know I'm part of the problem. So fix me. And this is what the success of the home hinges on that God has done and is doing a personal work in you. And that's the last thing I wanna point out from this passage of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter six says this, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell him this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders. When I read these verses, I felt in my heart, you cannot answer the question of someone in verse 20, what is the meaning of this, without having the personal experience of verse 21 and 22 that says God did this. See, the, the parents were not going, I heard that God did this. They said God did this. And I don't know about you, but when someone comes and asks you, why are you coming to church? Why are you just, What are you going to say? Is it because I, I know this is how this works or is it because God's doing this? Is it happening? Is it personal right now? And so my question in closing is, have you opened your life to deep one-on-one -on -one relationship with God? Or is God just a part of your home? Is he just the, the, the home warranty or life insurance plan when all hell breaks loose? Or is he the foundation on which your home function and drives? Is he the foundation on which your life functions and thrives? So how do we fix that? We make God the center of it, come back to his purpose for it, and we live a life of personal relationship that says, God, I want you to change my heart. And in doing this, this is the, the hardest part for me to say to you today, is I can't promise that you'll have a good outcome necessarily. Because I know tons of people that this has transformed them, and they're some of the coolest people I know, and they come from the most broken homes. And some of their homes have been very broken. And that's not judgmental, because it's not on them. But what I can promise you is that when you live by these principles, the outcome gets taken off your shoulder and it gets put on God's because God told you to live this way. So it's not you trying to perform and make something happen. It's going, God, if you told me to live this way, I have faith that you're gonna have the best outcome for me. And I don't know about you, but that's how I prefer to live my life. So in closing today, I want everyone to just bow their heads, close their eyes, we can dim the lights today. And I wanna just, I wanna pray and have a response for two groups of people. First group of people is probably as soon as I started fixing this, you have all sorts of baggage in your past. I don't know if you came from a, a home that was split up by a divorce or abuse. I don't know. I don't know if you don't, you may not even know your biological parent. I don't know what your situation is, but we carry and lug a lot of pain around because of our homes. And the first step is we have to let God begin to fix that dysfunction. Otherwise, we just carry it wherever we go. 
And so today, I want to just give opportunity, even if it's one person or a person online, if today you're like, man, I need God to fix some past broken bagginess from my home, baggage from my home. Can you raise your hand today? I just want to pray over you. Anyone? Thank you. There's a lot of hands going up. I'm up here right here too. I need God to fix my brokenness. And so I'm gonna pray over you. God, I just thank you for these people that raised their hand. God, there's no word that I can say or no prayer that I can pray right now that can fix this, God, but your Holy Spirit can begin to fix it, God. And it may not be just an overnight transformation. It may be a long journey of us picking our cross up, denying ourselves and saying, Jesus, I once again come to the cross for you to fix me and this and this attitude and this situation, God. So I pray right now that there would just be a confidence, whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now, God, or just a filling. God, there would be a confidence that rises up and says, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm not going back to my brokenness. I'm going to fix this because God's in my heart and he can fix it. And we just thank you for it. And the last thing today I want to pray for is for everyone that goes, man, I've been walking these out. Maybe I haven't, but today I want to turn the page and I want to do a better job of of making God the center. I want to do a better job of living this purpose of taking him wherever I go. And that being an illustration through my home to the world around me. And ultimately I want to live a life that says, God, I'm coming back. I need you to fix me. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand today? I'm going to pray over all of you. Thank you. I'm raising my hand as well because I'm so dysfunctional. God, we just thank you, God, for the power of your word. God, and I pray that this would um, be a, a total success story. God, I think of that parable when it says that Jesus cast the good seed, God, and there's all these soils and some, the, 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 word, or the worry of life sweeps it away, the enemy sweeps it away, God. Whatever it is, God, I pray that there would be a, a, a good soil. God, that, that the harvest is produced in the life of these individuals. God, and we're imperfectly gonna do this. God, we're gonna go home and probably yell at someone today in our home or be frustrated at someone today in our home. That's part of it, God. But we come back to the foot of the cross. God, and we be people that say, God, change me. God, fix me. And so we just thank you for it today. God, you're good and you are faithful. God, we began praying that way. God, we end praying that way. God, this is not just a one-time rah-rah speech. God, this is an ongoing life. Each day, each Sunday, God, we walk in here and we go, God, I'm here. I'm back again. I'm back again. I need more of you. God, and that's the life we want to live. So we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Well, thanks for being here today, church. Um, it's really an honor to be able to spread God's word. And I encourage you, community is such a key part of this. Because it's you coming online, we talked about in the first message, a heart transformation, personal transformation also comes from other people going like, no, I need to be fixed too. How can we get fixed together? And so I encourage you, if you are not a part of Connect Groups when they come out, or you do not know someone in this building, and you're like, I, like, I pray right now, God says that you need to go talk to someone. But you need to find someone that you're walking shoulder and shoulder by, that you're talking about the dysfunction and brokenness of your life, and you're going, God, I need to, fi- I need to be fixed, and I need this person to help, in, help me stay on track to be fixed. And so anyway, thanks for being here today. We'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.